0: Welcome to the magic in Daily Endurance. I'm your host, Jesse Meister. Coming to you this season from Canada. What if you could integrate the tools necessary to raise your vibration and change your life? This show will help you overcome your challenges, step into your power, and become the true badass you're meant to be. Join me as I chat with friends of mine that have dove deep into their shadow to see the light and are now ready to share their stories. This is The Magic in Daily Endurance. Hello, world, and welcome back to another episode of The Magic in Daily Endurance. Today, Ryan McElvany. He might have to. Okay, I did. Okay, (laughs) perfect. Uh, Transformation coach, breathwork facilitator, working on nervous system resets, offering tech techniques to reset, overcome anxiety, exhaustion, and reactivity. Ryan is a stress overwhelm specialist. Welcome, Ryan, to the Magic and Daily Endurance. Thanks, Jess.
1: It's excellent to be here and. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for
0: this. Yeah, you have, you have. We met in Costa Rica in the in the magic of Costa Rica, on a beach, I think.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, and uh, I just I follow you on Instagram, and I love what you are doing and the gifts that you are bringing to the world. And today specifically, I went and checked your Instagram. And I saw like the stress and overwhelm and I was like, oh, this is going to be so good for everyone to hear right now, because I know how many people out there are dealing with this exact topic right now and not knowing what to do, how to overcome it. So I cannot wait to hear what you have to say about that.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. And it is it's a big thing at the moment and it seems to be heading more and more into that direction rather than less. And so this is one of the reasons why I've made this such a focal point for what I'm doing.
0: Yeah. Awesome. We're going to get into a deep dive, but first I always ask, uh, morning rituals, routines, I believe are a staple in people's, uh, just how they show up for the day. And every single person that I've talked to has a different routine. So I love to ask this question because then if you look, you're a regular listener, there's like, Oh, I could add that. Or, Oh, like maybe I'll substitute this for what this person's doing. So morning rituals, if you have one, would you like to share with the audience?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm a really big believer in daily practice. And maybe you've seen some of my content around daily practice. It's something that I'm always harping on. And I, everybody who I talk to about it, I make clear that for my money, like the, the morning is the best time to do the bulk of our daily practice. It sets us up for the day and it allows us to not only engage with things in a much more present way but also sets us up to if we want to visit more practice later on we're more likely to do that if we have a good morning so this has been a real focus of mine for the last uh yeah even over six years when i first uh, i lived in an ashram for a while and so that was that was a big part of my life during that time and I was very extreme back then. my my daily practice was sometimes six uh, sorry my my morning practice was sometimes six hours when I was living in that environment. Wow and so at and lately though, um, I have to admit it's been quite a challenge for me, and I've been much more challenged than I maybe have been since I started to do these kinds of practices in the mm-hmm. recent time. So what I've done there is I've actually, and I've stripped my daily practice down to the, the real essentials uh, and my morning practice down to the real essentials, as well as adding in a few new things, which weren't part of my practice before. So at the moment, what I'm really focused on is doing a short meditation as soon as I wake up and I do this either in silence uh, or like with the eyes closed. Or using uh, a candle and uh, staring at the candle for 15 minutes. And then I'll do some light yoga, uh, so yoga asana, which at the moment, honestly, even though I spent four years living in an ashram, it's kind of a guilty pleasure of mine that anytime I'm kind of having difficulty with my practice, I go back to the first yoga teacher that I ever uh, watched on YouTube which is somebody named Yoga Adrian. And she's like this very sweet, uh, very cheesy, but very, very technical and very excellent instruction. Um, and so that's about half an hour of like working with the body. And then I'm a huge fan and you'll have seen and and anybody who checks out my content will see very quickly that I really cannot state enough the value of working with the breath. And so that still makes up a, a Big bulk of my practice around 20 to 40 minutes of the morning i'll do breath practices and those are not really the practices that i teach um what i what i would recommend is different than what i practice just because of the the length of time which i've been developing these practices and then a little bit more meditation if i have the time and then what's been really key for me lately is uh practicing prayer. So praying in the morning and also sometimes some chanting, which even though I lived in an ashram, wasn't actually a part of the the kind of ashram that I was in. We were very focused on meditation in silence and not so much on chanting. So that's, that's kind of a new thing for me and it's really, really enjoyable and it really helps things to, to flow and brings a bit more maybe playfulness into my day, which is something that I'm cultivating at the moment.
0: I love that. And I love that you mentioned that that's not what you recommend for like people who start to work with you because of your level of experience. That's, yeah, that's so important because like when you are starting, like, yeah, do this for an hour and it's just like, that's a lot to a beginner. So I love, I love that you mentioned that.
1: Yeah, exactly. I always recommend for people to start really small. So like five minutes a day is what I recommend. Mm -hmm. And then from five minutes a day, once we get stabilized in that, firstly, people will be amazed at what an impact just doing five minutes a day will have on our life. Like five minutes a day, I find has a cumulative effect for people, which is far greater than even going to like one one hour or two hour class a week that that five minutes a day really starts to add up. And then once we start to already see effects from that, that encourages us to keep on going and and building the practice. But it's really important to already start to see the effects, even from the small investment before we start to make a big investment. Otherwise it's just not sustainable for people.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And it's like the more I read into all of this stuff, like that 1% a day, 1% 1% exactly. back, right and then habit stacking eventually over time
1: exactly yeah. Yeah. exactly and once this is the thing once we start to well it's it's important also i want to mention to choose the right practices because there's certain practices that have different um what we can call like efficiencies or ratios to what we invest in them and what we get out of them mm-hmm. and there's some practices that can be very effective once we start to be able to really invest time into them, but they might take a bit longer to stick. Mm -hmm. So I really recommend when people are starting to start with something, which is going to give like an almost immediately palatable effect, like noticeable effect into how they're, how they're feeling immediately after, but also to start to notice how it's affecting their life.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And anything is possible. You just have to like start implementing them slowly and surely, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: That's so yeah. So, an ashram. How long did you live in an ashram for, and what brought you there?
1: Uh, I lived there for four years, and I actually thought that I would live there for the rest of my life. Um, but I I left two years ago, and what brought me there was I I. I I'm a completely different person than I was when I went to the ashram and I was really, Oh, how to say this? Like I was very, very overwhelmed all the time. And the way that I would compensate for my overwhelm was with many different addictions. Uh, I was alcoholic. I was smoking weed all the time. I was a pornography addict and a sex addict. And I was just like, leaning into these things to such an extent that it basically broke me down entirely. And I had had an experience a year before I went to the ashram, where when I was in Thailand, I was invited to live in a Buddhist temple for nine days. Basically, essentially living like a monk. In Thailand, they have the monks, and then they have people that wear white and either go there to have the experience of living like a monk or go there as like a trial before they become a monk full-blown and so I went and did that for nine days and it was essentially like the first time that I experienced peace in my in my whole life oh wow the thing is though is that uh yeah I, I won't go into that right now but but I I had that experience and I went from Essentially, I was meditating maybe fifteen minutes every now and again at this time. Maybe sometimes doing some yoga, but honestly, when I was in Thailand, I was mainly drinking and doing these kinds of things. So it was quite an intense experience for me to go from uh, having a drinking habit and you know these other kinds of manifestations of addiction to I I left my phone behind, so I went into the temple without a phone. And then I was living the, the monk life, eating one meal a day and waking up at uh, 4.30 a.m. to go do the first meditation at five, meditating like five to seven hours a day. And so it was a very in- intense and incredible experience for me. But then when I, and this actually looks around nicely, so this is good. But when I left that, I, I didn't continue practicing. I didn't even really continue the 15 minutes that I was doing before. I kind of fell off with that. And I came out with this giant ego thinking like, you know, I just spent nine days in a Buddhist temple living like a monk. Now I'm the most centered, centered guy on the face of the planet and I'll be fine with everything else. And it was super quickly that I fell back into a lot of the same addictions, a lot of the same bad habits, because and I really put it down now to the fact that I wasn't practicing daily. I really feel that the daily practice is so necessary because it almost serves as well, it serves as so many things. But one of the things that it serves as is a daily wake up. Like we we might wake up from sleeping in bed, but then we can still enter the world and go in on autopilot and follow the same programs that we've always been following. But when we have that practice in the morning, we have a chance to really wake up, not just wake up from sleep, but wake up into presence, into choice, Mm -hmm. into awareness. And so when I didn't have that, uh, I might have had the ego as if I knew what was what, but I was very quickly sliding back into my same habits and actually sliding even further. I went even further into my darkness after that experience it, it only took about six months i think until um, my experiences I, I ended up in getting back together with probably the relationship that was most toxic and that i was most toxic in and it just completely broke me and so after that i said okay well the only time i've ever known peace is in this Buddhist temple so I thought okay well that was only nine days so it didn't stick I obviously didn't do it enough so my my mental process at this time was if I go to India and do it for four or five months then I'll probably be good and I can move on with my life and uh, I went to India and I ended up meeting a not i didn't end up in a traditional ashram i ended up meeting a tantric school and then i one of the the guru's main disciple had an ashram in denmark and so i ended up going to study directly under him and ended up living there for four years
0: wow and then of course (laughs) you're like this completely different person because in my opinion, like you can't go through something like that and come out on the other side as the same person that you were. Like No,
1: indeed. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: Oh, it's just, it's, it's such a transformation, especially putting yourself like right in it for four years. Like that to me is so inspirational and so incredible. And I love that now you're teaching people that obviously can't go and live in an ashram how to bring that into their life now
1: yeah well the truth is uh if i could go back and do it all again i would probably make different choices uh and i don't regret it at all and it was hugely transformational for me but what i've learned now is that transformation can happen in the world just as fast if not faster if we take the world in the right way
2: Mm. and
1: i'm a really big believer now in harmony because i believe that actually when we approach things from a harmonious place where we understand what we're doing and we make kind of the Mm -hmm. most mm, how to say it i don't want to overuse this word but harmonious decisions for how to progress I could have actually overcome the things that I overcame in those four years even quicker
2: Mm.
1: because it was such a, such an intense environment. Honestly, it was like, it was a really intense ashram. And so for me now, this is, this is a big focus for me is, is when, when people, you know, when students, when clients, and when I just speak about it with people talk to me about this experience and they ask me if I recommend it, I tell them not really because Everything that you need to learn, you can learn here in the world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And what's really important is culture. Like one of the things that it was great for is that it really supported me in, in having that crazy practice schedule that I was keeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that really helped me transform really quick. But it was more the practice, honestly, that did that. And now what we're learning is that There's practices which are more efficient than others. And the really great thing is that there's more and more science coming out to help us understand which practices are going to be the most impactful and which are going to help us transform the quickest. So to kind of speak to what you were saying is when I first left the ashram, I left wanting to teach the techniques that I learned there. Uh, particularly the, the more advanced techniques that I learned, there. super powerful techniques that honestly, they, at the current time, I haven't found them in the world. Uh, and so that was kind of what I wanted to, to leave and to share with people so that they didn't have to go to the ashram. Mm-hmm. But what I noticed was only around, I would say, like 40% of the people that I was teaching these techniques were getting the results that I would want them to have. And the other around 60% were having some results, but just it wasn't sticking the same way. And so this led to me starting to look really into like, what's what's going on here? Why, why is this guy having these beautiful results, these amazing transformations and telling me how, what a blessing these techniques are? And then these two other guys are saying like, oh yeah, I, I feel it, but... I can't really get it and I don't understand why and kind of getting a little bit frustrated and, and then very quickly not practicing these techniques anymore because they're just not seeing the impact. Mm-hmm. And the more that I dug into this, I also realized that this isn't just the case with my students. This was a case with the people who I was in the ashram with.
2: Mm-hmm. People
1: were having wildly different results from doing the same techniques in the same environment. And so I started to really look into this and the conclusion that I came to is that it's really a matter of nervous system harmonization. Like this capacity to integrate the experiences that we're having, this capacity to relax into these intense techniques really comes down to if that person already has a bit of a harmonized nervous system or if they're still in kind of like a constant sympathetic fight or flight response. That's when these techniques really are not really that effective. And so what that led me to start to see is that actually, even if these specific techniques don't really exist uh, outside of the ashram environment, there is no shortage of incredible techniques available to people now with the internet and with so many amazing teachers around the techniques are there. That's not the problem. But what I feel now very strongly is that it's almost pointless to practice high-level spiritual techniques or these kind of different, different kinds of very advanced techniques if we don't already have a certain level of nervous system harmonization.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so this, this really became my focus. Uh, what, what are the most effective tools to get people into a harmonious nervous system state not only you know obviously for me there's still a part of me that's very passionate about these more advanced techniques and i hope that people more people be ready for them at at some point in the future but but not only for that purpose but because not everybody wants to practice those kinds of techniques not everybody wants to practice for three hours four hours a day and learn advanced uh, yogic techniques but everybody does want to be more comfortable in their life everybody wants to have more choice more autonomy and more more like inner freedom and so that's that's stuff that all comes from harmonizing the nervous system in my in my experience and from what i see And from what's kind of, obviously this isn't specifically stated in any research, but there's a lot of evidence in research that supports that. And so this is kind of what I felt like is the most important thing for me to offer at the moment is just things that can improve everybody's lived experience rather than specific techniques, which will only be helpful for a very small proportion of the population.
0: I want to ask you about the techniques that you're using, but first I want to ask you about like people who to put it as bluntly as I can, are like still plugged into the matrix. Like people who are just like going to their nine to five, dropping off the kids, picking up the kids, going to dinner, like, you know, all of those things. Like if I told them like your nervous system is out of whack, like how, how would I explain to someone like, what their nervous
1: system is. Yeah. So the f- the first thing I would suggest is not necessarily to tell somebody that their nervous system is out of whack, <laughs> because
2: <laughs> because when somebody is, that.
1: I know, but, but let me let me share why because <laughs> when somebody's nervous system is out of whack. They're already in a fight and flight response.
2: Right. That's,
1: that's, that's where they're living from. Right. So, when when we confront somebody who's in a fight or flight response, they're going to respond in only a couple of ways. But they right. never, it's never going to be a very, yeah, very, okay. very like super harmonious response.
0: Okay. So, when somebody came to me and I would like to explain to them, like the nervous system, I guess. A better question. <laughs> but, but this
1: is the thing. But right? <laughs> what what we can do is is we can talk to people about the the symptoms that they're experiencing.
2: Mm. And
1: and this is you you introduced me very beautifully. And so this is when when somebody's experiencing stress, somebody's experiencing overwhelm, they might not want or be ready to identify themselves as having uh, a messed up nervous system but they might know that they're feeling stressed. Mm -hmm. They might know that they're feeling overwhelmed. Mm
2: -hmm. They
1: might know that they're feeling like reactive and like they don't really have much uh, autonomy in their life. And so when we speak to them about that and we can offer them, uh, you know, maybe a technique to help them feel a little bit more spaciousness inside this, this can start. And when they have the the first feeling of what it's like to actually enter into a parasympathetic state Mm -hmm. is such an amazing thing to watch how, how much people are impacted by very simple techniques when it's the first taste of a parasympathetic state that they've had in a long time. But that, that was a little, a little sidetrack. And I'll I'll answer your question now. Um, Essentially what, what I think is most important for people to immediately understand is the two main branches of the nervous system being the sympathetic and parasympathetic branches. And what, what's important there is that all of the important functions of the body from down to cell, cell reproduction, to uh, digestion, to sleep, all of these things. And I believe, although this is not like proven yet, but it's it's very easy to infer, conscious choice, all of these things come from the parasympathetic rest and digest, sometimes it's called, but I prefer to call it the rest and restore mm-hmm. nervous system. And what we find in the modern day is that the majority of us are in a constant sympathetic state. So the sympathetic nervous system is traditionally called the fight or flight response. It's meant to be, uh, or I would say that in our natural state, it's reserved for situations of high danger. Like if there was a predator behind me, or if I had to do something like very, very intense. And then the thing about these nervous systems is that they work very, very differently. So the parasympathetic nervous system is a slow to activate, but more resilient nervous system. So it will stay activated for longer. Once it's activated, the sympathetic nervous system is meant to be very quick to activate and very quick to turn back off. And it's, it is, it functions like this. The trouble is that in our lives, When we have jobs, when we have to drive in traffic, when we have the, I'm talking to you on it so I can't show you it, but, you know, we have something in our pocket, exactly, that is constantly triggering our stress response. Mm -hmm. It's, It's almost like it's never turning off because it's just constantly being renewed. Mm-hmm. and what this leads to is a really big drop in parasympathetic activation which leads to trouble sleeping which leads to problems digesting which leads to stress and overwhelm and reactiveness and so that's that's kind of the the important thing is that these two branches it's very important for us to focus on activating the parasympathetic nervous system and letting the sympathetic nervous system what was Previously called the fight and flight response, but now I've I've recently been reading or or hearing and reading about uh, this new kind of paradigm of fight, flight, freeze or fawn response, which for me was hugely eye opening to to realize that these are also uh, sympathetic responses, and yeah. I, I think that's that's what I want to say about I just wanted to mention that there's there's other responses than just the fight or flight response. So yeah, uh, it shows up in other ways for different people.
0: And there is more and more information coming out. Like I feel like I've asked this before to other guests, but do you feel like do you feel how many more people are like learning about this and just. I hate to say that it's trending and it is starting to be like trendy, like ice dips, breath work, yoga, like sound baths, like all of these things, like more and more people in my realm, at least it seems to be growing. So it's like more and more people are finally seeing like, Oh, maybe like there's something inside me that I need to regulate and, you know, stress overwhelm, like look at it.
2: Yeah.
1: It's, it's an amazing time because information has never been mm. more accessible. Yeah. There's never been more research into these kinds of things. So, like, in a sense, and I don't want to, uh, yeah, be be too, I guess, aggressive in my views of triggering, but in a sense, science is the new religion, and so this is why I I talk. So before I went to the ashram, I was a registered nurse. So And I, I almost went into research. And so I'm quite comfortable with reading research papers and with, with looking into scientific and medical research. Cool. So that's why, because that's something which is, uh, you know, if I talk to people in the language that I learned in the ashram about chakras and energy and this and that, it's, gonna, it's not going to sink into a lot of people. But when I look into CO2 tolerance and the nervous system response and all of these kinds of things, this is something which people are more, a, a lot of people now are more ready to, to hear and to listen to and understand that these techniques can really help them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's, that's why I focus on that. And it is it's such an amazing time uh, and more and more people are becoming interested in it. But this is also something of a double-edged sword. And again, not to be too, you know, uh, what I've noticed is that what I feel there's much more needed in the modern day is a lot more, uh, in a sense, nervous system literacy, like actually understanding what these things are triggering in our nervous system. Because not everything that feels good to us is actually good for our nervous system Mm
2: -hmm. because we
1: live in a sympathetically addicted society. Mm -hmm. So actually, you'll notice that the majority of people, when their nervous system is, when they're very sympathetically activated, this can in the long term lead to exhaustion, tiredness. And the way that we remedy that in the modern world for most people is to drink coffee, which does help, but it's sympathetically activating. And it's really kind of like, it's like you have a loan with the bank and you need to pay it back. So you take out a loan with another bank and then you need to pay that back. So you take out a loan with another bank. We're going to have to pay back those loans eventually. And when we do, it's going to be really nasty. The, the more and more loans that we take out, the heavier it's going to be.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: the, the thing that's interesting to me is that people aren't just doing that with coffee. There's a lot of techniques which are becoming very, very popular, which might feel very good in the short term, but are not necessarily um, harmonizing the nervous system. So like uh, Breath of Fire has become very, very popular in the West. Because it's essentially coffee in breath form. Mm -hmm. But it's very agitating to the nervous system. And there's even some, uh, like uh, BKS Iyengar, who created Iyengar Yoga. He's He's a recent yogic luminary. And he has publicly spoken about how this is a technique that should be done sparingly, not be done as a daily practice. And I meet a lot of people who are doing this as a daily practice because they say it you know, it makes them feel good. It makes them feel ready, but it's activating the parasympathetic, sorry, the sympathetic nervous system. What it's doing is it's creating a dump of adrenaline so that afterwards there's less adrenaline to pump into the body. So you feel less stressed, Mm. but it's burning out those adrenal glands. So this is just a little, a little side thing. I'm just saying that I feel like it's an amazing time because people are more and more interested, but there's a lot of people who are teaching who not to be not to be harsh or critical but who are maybe not ready to be teaching mm. uh, and need to practice a little bit more and understand the techniques a little bit deeper before they teach there's also a really big tendency and this is not just in these things but in in everything uh of what I call the kind of photocopier effect where we're not becoming independent practitioners before we teach. So we're really just repeating what's being told to us without understanding it fully.
2: Mm. The
1: trouble with that is that when somebody repeats what's being told to them, to somebody, and then that person repeats what's being told to them, to so the next person, and then so on and so forth, we get more and more dilution and less and less understanding of what's actually going on. And so, yeah, that, that's my, it's, it's a double-edged sword, but uh, it's an amazing time to be alive. It's it really is. It's an amazing time to teach and it's an amazing time to practice and research.
0: Yeah. But, and I love that, like the telephone game, right? Like,
1: someone, yeah,
2: exactly.
0: And then it just gets, and by the time it gets around, it is not what that person taught. So. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly, and yeah, and go. also we lose the understanding of why we would even do it mm-hmm. when we when we just do something because we've been told this is such like a dangerous thing, and we see it we see it everywhere. The doing things because we're told, and it's really you know in these kinds of things I feel like it's really important to really understand what's going on, which is why whenever I teach. I spend a lot of time teaching the mechanics.
2: Mm-hmm. Why
1: Why is it having this effect on you? Mm-hmm. Because my my intention when I'm teaching is always to um, help somebody to become an independent practitioner,
2: mm-hmm. that
1: they won't need a recording, they won't need to go to a class. It's still nice to go to classes. Like I, I still go to classes, but... And when we're practicing, when we're developing a daily practice, especially, I feel that it's incredibly important to understand why I'm doing this daily practice, what daily practice suits my current situation, because our situation changes and our practice also probably needs to shift when that happens. Hmm. But if we don't understand the mechanics or the why of what we're doing, we, we don't have that independence. We're going to keep on going in a direction which is no longer the right direction for us, or we're going to be constantly relying on somebody else to tell us what we need to be doing and how we need to be changing it. Mm -hmm. So this is why I feel that this like literacy around these kinds of practices is really important. And I, I spend a lot of time on that.
0: I love that. That's like, and so important. So, so important. That's great. So if somebody is incredibly stressed and overwhelmed, and they find you, what is your process? like how does how does that work when somebody finds you?
1: Yeah, so the main thing that I'm doing at the moment is that i'm I'm teaching a lot here in Tulum and meeting people in that way and also still growing a bit on Instagram, but Instagram hasn't been so friendly to me lately and also starting to grow on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I, I'm not taking it personal, but it's just, I'm just realizing that I need to open up my avenues a little bit. Um, and so now I'm starting a YouTube also. And what I mainly do is people will come for a class and at the end of every class, I tell them that actually, even though this class was great, what's even more important is cultivating a daily practice. And so I offer uh, free recordings of a couple of different practices, depending on which one seems like it would benefit the person the most. And then I send them that in an email and encourage them to start to make five, 10 minutes a day to start to practice these things daily. Because as, as you know, and it's, it's very wonderful to speak to somebody who, who, sees the importance of the daily practice that makes such a bigger difference than and this is what I tell them like this five minutes a day is going to make a bigger difference than this class if you keep on going with it Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the most important thing is to understand that we we want a, a solution right now in in our western society and nervous system harmonization doesn't really work like this we can get like We can get immediate effects, but the ironic thing is that sometimes the things that give the most immediate effect do not give the most effect in the long term. And so I'm aiming now to, I'm very focused on the long term and part of what I've been working on to become more accessible and able to help people more is kind of, making a middle ground where I can also offer things which give people a uh, very immediate effect. Mm. And so the techniques that I feel are best for that is one that I'm just look, starting to look into now. So honestly, I'm not the biggest expert on it, um, but it's the physiological side. It gives a very immediate uh, release of stress uh, from a couple of mechanisms. The first one being that a longer exhale. So physiological size, when you take two breaths in, so which helps us to expand the lungs more and then a long exhale through the mouth.
2: Mm.
1: And what this does is the, the exhale, firstly, it expands the lungs more and then the exhale, what the exhale does is it's associated with slowing down the heart rate for some things i won't go into but the heart rate slows down when you're when you're exhaling and so what this does is it tells the body i'm safe it tells the nervous system i'm safe look my heart is slowing down i can relax Mm -hmm. and so that gives a very good immediate effect the trouble that i have with that technique and why i'm a little bit suspicious of it is because when we are The reason, one of the other reasons why it's helping us is because we are exhaling more CO2 when we do that. And we have this thing in our brainstem called the chemoreceptor for CO2, which kind of measures the concentration of CO2 in the blood. And what it does is that when the CO2 level is too high for it, it starts to send us panic signals telling us that we're going to suffocate if we don't take action. The thing is that most of us have a very low tolerance for CO2 because we're already breathing too fast, too, too heavy. Mm -hmm. And so we don't, that tolerance for CO2 gets down really low. And also, CO2 is a very important molecule in the body. It used to be seen as a waste product. Modern research, there was previously research about it, but it was ignored. Modern research is showing that it really is an incredibly important molecule for the body. And I can't even go into all the benefits that it has to have high levels of CO2 in our blood. But the point, the one that we're talking about right now is that when the CO2 receptor, the chemoreceptor for CO2 goes off, it makes the rest of our fear and uh, like survival instincts kind of hair, hair triggers, if that makes sense. When that CO2 receptor is not going off, it acts as something of a buffer for stress responses. So our level of CO2 tolerance is directly connected to our capacity to tolerate stress in the world because it gives us that buffer. And so when the physiological side, what we're doing is we're offloading CO2, which relieves the pressure on the CO2 sensor. But the reason why I'm suspicious of it is because in the long run, that's going to lead to even lower levels of CO2 tolerance. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so the other really important technique to practice, in my opinion, or to start with, is square breathing or box breathing. Mm. And this is where you're inhaling for a count, holding for a count, exhaling for a count and holding for a count. Because what this does, as well as some other stuff, but the main thing that I'll focus on is the CO2 element, is that it's raising CO2 in the blood, because Mm -hmm. we're holding the breath for a short time. But it's doing it in a kind of a more gentle way, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So we're purposefully triggering that sensor, so that that sensor becomes less sensitive. Mm -hmm. You know, like, what that means is that then when we're in the world and stressful things start happening, that sensor isn't going to start going off and start telling us that we're suffocating when we're just trying to, I don't know, stand in a, a queue or something, whatever, whatever we find stressful. And so this is one of the ones that I feel is very important for people to practice. And one of the first ones that I offer to people, there's one that I offer before that, which is diaphragmatic breathing
2: mm-hmm. so
1: and and tell me if I'm going like too much into into details when, no, once because
0: I, I, I was like I was gonna ask you like what your favorite techniques were and you're just flowing with it so <laughs> is,
1: okay.
0: it's great <laughs> you should keep going
1: it's, it's just i know, like I think you'll remember normally I'm quite shy and introverted but once I start once I start talking about this stuff I can just move it's and, so uh, I just I just love it so the other one that I suggest to people, if, if they need it, even before moving on to the square breathing, is diaphragmatic breathing. Mm. So if, we, if you look at tomorrow or whenever, try to see if you can spot a, a kid and notice where they're breathing into. Mm. All children breathe into the belly. In fact, I was a pediatric nurse and when a child starts chest breathing, it's enough to call an emergency in the hospital and get people in straight away to look at that kid because it's such a, you know, extreme stress response. And yet in medical textbooks, they say that around the age of 12 or 14, we just switch into being predominantly chest breathers. The adult population is something like 90, 95, at least in the West, 90 to 95% chest breathers, which means that we predominantly breathe with the accessory muscles in the chest and the clavicular area, rather than activating the diaphragm. What this does is that it leads to breathing much quicker because these are much less efficient muscles. So you need to move them more to get the same amount of gas exchange. It also leads to tension building up around this area because we're using those muscles so much instead of using this giant, beautiful muscle that we have in the in the chest, the breathe. But it also activates something uh, which is really important, which so, like I said, these textbooks, they give no explanation. It's just stated as a matter of fact, as a lot of things in Western medicine have been. The establishment decides that something is the way it is. And then there's no challenging and there's no like opportunity for an uh, opposing voice. So they don't even need to explain a lot of these things. They just say, yeah, 12 to 14 years old, we switched to being chest breathers. Of course, Why, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we switch to a less efficient muscle? But what we now know about the nervous system and the way that it relates to these muscles, it's pretty clear to me what is going on here. See, there's something called the sympathetic excitation feedback loop. And essentially what this means is that there's an interesting, we could even call it like a little bit buggy relationship between the sympathetic nervous system and the accessory respiratory muscles, which is that they're completely tied together. And so when we start to become stressed and sympathetically activated, which I imagine 12 or 14 years is when people start to, feel the stresses of the world sure it's getting even younger now as people get more cell phones and more mature and all of this earlier and earlier but around that age we start to take on more stress and so we start to breathe with the chest Mm. the little bit buggy thing about the human body is that breathing with the chest tells the nervous system that you're in danger and so it activates the sympathetic nervous system again which leads to us breathing with the chest more which leads to it activating the sympathetic nervous system even more and so on and so forth. And we're stuck in the sympathetic excitation feedback loop. Now, this sounds like super, you know, scary because it's like, oh, well, what, what hope do I have? But mm-hmm. the nice thing is, is that there's a opposite feedback loop that we can consciously activate, which is that the diaphragm, uh, which is our main breathing muscle—it's this dome that sits inside of the rib cage—is directly connected to the parasympathetic nervous system, and even massages the vagus nerve as it moves up and down. It does a whole lot of other super important things, like uh, returning blood to the heart, helping us with digestion. It's the main, um, maybe one of the main muscles of support in the core but I won't go into those things at the moment, but it's directly connected to the parasympathetic nervous system.
2: Mm.
1: So what that means is that by consciously breathing with the diaphragm, breathing into the belly, we activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which makes it easier to breathe using the diaphragm, which activates the parasympathetic nervous system more and so on and so forth until we start to become mainly diaphragm dominant in our breathing and parasympathetic dominant in our nervous system responses mm-hmm. so that, did I, does that make sense for me
0: like i am just blown away with how much i'm learning right now <laughs> and and it does make sense because the coaching um the unlifted method i talk about a lot uh that's what they continuously say like most people like all their emotions are stuck like in their chest and in their throat and because yeah. we're not breathing properly, that's why everyone is stressed and overwhelmed. So you just put like everything I learned in the coaching certificate I just got and put like all the scientific reasons into it. So I am just like, yes, that 100% makes sense. And I love how technical you just got with all of that.
2: <laughs> yeah I'm
0: I'm like I have shivers like all over my body right now I'm like you're on the right path just keep going and how much you know is it's so good it's so good
1: thank you yeah It's it's a it's a passion for me so I I love learning about this stuff and one of the things that it fascinated me a little bit when I was in the ashram but it really started to click when i started to move in this direction with my my offering is the holographic nature of things like you know the yogis when they talked about the nadis and all of this they were talking about the nervous system and there's there's even vivekananda even refers to to this and he was writing about this like i think like 80 90 years ago something like this and I I was rereading some of his work recently and he even talks about nervous tone a lot. And for me now, I just feel that, that when the yogis are talking about nadis, these kinds of things, energy channels, the nervous system is energy channels. When we're talking about consciousness, we're talking about the parasympathetic state because when you're in a sympathetic state, there's no consciousness. There's no room for consciousness. We're just reacting to everything. So there's no, there's no conscious decision-making. So for me, one of the most amazing things has been combining, like, you know, essentially a university education in the ashram for four years and my university education into nursing and medical research and then seeing that they're talking about exactly the same stuff. It's just using different language.
2: Yeah.
1: And so... I, I love that. I love seeing how it fits together and learning how all of these things fit together. So yeah, it's a, it's a big passion in mine. And I, I love to talk about it. So thank you for receiving it. Yeah,
0: no, this this has been so informative. Um speaking of your offering, what is your offering, Ryan?
1: Yeah, thank you for asking. Um so when this podcast is kind of due to go out I will have just have launched my new kind of main offering finally with the nervous system reset course and community I've been kind of figuring out what I'm doing with that for a while and now it feels like the right time to launch it and this will be a really really comprehensive course of many uh, different techniques most of which are backed uh, directly or indirectly by scientific research, uh, most of it. And these are the most efficient techniques for that I've come across for harmonizing the nervous system from a place of daily practice. So I'm, I'm very focused on daily practice. And so these are kind of techniques which... I've noticed a lot of like the work that people do with nervous system. It's really great, but it it's better when there's a facilitator or it takes quite a bit to get into, if that makes sense. So what this is aimed at is helping people cultivate a very effective daily practice, which doesn't take that long to do. And so it'll have a course element where I'll go even deeper into all of the science that I've just been sharing now, all of the mechanics uh, because trust me, there's, there's much, much more. I'm, I'm holding back quite a bit. And then techniques from a few different pillars being like uh, movement or working with the body, working with the breath, working with the mind, kind of mindfulness, meditation, this kind of side of things. Um, we have an awareness pillar where we'll go into becoming aware, not only during the practice, but learning to ground into awareness during the day and also relaxation techniques like yoga nidra, which is now very scientifically backed. Um, This gentleman, Andrew Huberman, has been really talking about yoga nidra, not very recently, but about a year ago, he was really talking about it. And so we'll go into all of these techniques. We will then have uh, three different kind of pathways for people with different level of time to invest into these techniques giving them a pathway to increase their practice over time harmoniously so that they can really develop that side of things. That will be the video component, the course component, and that will also have a monthly live call where we will get together as a community, share our experiences, and also have a chance to do question and answer. I I really like when people come with questions and, and providing those answers, and also just space for discussion. So that's that's kind of the main thing that I've been working on lately, putting together and getting ready to launch that. I do a couple of other things, but that's that's the main focus at the moment. And that should be launching uh, this week. So it, it will be in in swing by the time this, this podcast is released.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Uh, and how do people find you?
1: Uh, the best places are Instagram and YouTube. I'm on Instagram as Transformational Ryan, and I'm on YouTube as Nervous System Reset. And also, I have my website RyanMacklepenny.com. And I don't know, do you do links in the? I do, yeah. Everything will be in the show notes. Yeah, yeah so I I'll I will send you those links. And I wanted to mention also that uh, one of my intentions with this course is that. It's a super comprehensive course, but my aim is to make it reasonably excessively priced. So uh, compared to a lot of what I've seen out there for what it is, um, I'm making it a very accessible price. And I'm offering this at the moment. It will eventually switch over to a subscription model, Mm -hmm. especially because the idea is that I've got a few people who are interested in becoming... Teachers of this kind of uh, way of doing things, the nervous system reset uh, method, I could maybe say, call it. Mm-hmm. And once I start to train those teachers, it will also expand to include like daily live classes that people can join and this kind of thing. So we'll be switching over to a subscription model. But but for people who are interested in joining at the moment, they will pay once and have lifetime access to the community. And that's going to be for uh, 459 US. And for your listeners, I'd love to include a discount code in the description also to offer that for 400 US for maybe maybe a, a limited time. We'll, we'll put it down in the description once we <laughs> yeah, decide the sure. parameters of that. Yeah, for but, sure. But <laughs> yeah, so I, I failed to mention that because. The one of the other kind of inspirations for me moving in this direction was uh, I do high ticket coaching as well uh, in in tantra, not not in this realm of things, but my my tantric business is a high ticket coaching business, mm-hmm. and I I love that because you know you can go really deep with people and that's that's awesome,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it just didn't feel right to me, only having of a high ticket offer yeah and so this has been a big driving force in in putting this together is that i want to make a community where it's it's accessible for most anyone to access and i'm very happy to give scholarships if that's still not accessible for people but the real idea behind this is to make it a very strong community where we can support each other in practicing, developing a daily practice and continuing to harmonize our nervous system and really spread that to people who maybe even aren't don't know that they're interested in this or you know haven't thought about it before. And the more, the more of us that start to practice these things, that start to see results from it, and that other people see those results in us the more that these kinds of things will spread. So that's just to give a little of my my motivation behind that.
0: Honestly, the amount of information that you've given in this episode and to know that that is what you're offering in this offer, like that's like a no brainer to me that that is an amazing <laughs> offer. And that's just, it's, yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. Everything will be in the show notes so that People can reach out and we'll have the discount code and we'll put like a, a expire date on it for sure. And okay. before I let people go, I ask them one question. Um, regular listeners know this question for sure. And the question is, if you could go back and talk to your eight-year-old self, wow. what would you tell him?
2: Wow. Wow.
1: <laughs> I mean, eight was a pretty, yeah, the start of an intense period for me. So. That's the
0: number that came through. <laughs> it's, it's always different for people, and it's the number that comes yeah. through. So.
1: Yeah. Um, what would I tell my eight-year-old self? Uh, so the thing is that this is completely off topic, and it might even be alienating to people, but I'm going to... I'm going to answer it honestly uh, as what's coming up for me, but um, just to assure my eight-year-old self that just because I cannot feel God doesn't mean that God is no longer with me. And yeah, just to remember that God is always, uh, or we can just say some, some consciousness, some, some, you know, some, something is always there embracing embracing you and to to trust in that even when you can't feel it and to be patient because you will feel it again in, <laughs> yeah in yeah. about 20
2: years but, <laughs> but, but you found him you found you him will feel it again. <laughs>
0: him her um whatever resonates no that that is a beautiful answer and i love and appreciate that you were honest because that, that there's a reason that i ask it and it's to put you in that inner child and mm. yeah and because i i am a firm believer also that the inner child work is just as important as the daily routines and rituals because there is that little us that wants that attention and that love and needs it so yeah. for you to be honest and vulnerable is very very good
2: thanks
1: for asking it's, yeah uh, yeah it, it caught me a little bit of god but
0: <laughs> you're not the first person <laughs> to say that <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Ryan, for joining me today on the Magic and Daily Endurance. And this was so informative. I cannot wait to see what you alchemize, what else you alchemize in the world, and sharing. Oh, yeah!
2: Thank you.
1: <laughs> thank you so much. It's been wonderful. It's my. It's only my second podcast, so I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm really appreciative that you you offered me this space and to connect with you again. And yeah, thank you so much.
0: Thank you hold up friends before you go hit that review button and give this episode a five-star review share it on your social media and do not forget to tag me i will repost you let's spread the magic also 2023 is upon us are you tired of the stories that you're telling yourself do you want to create your dream life with that dream partner that dream job Create better relationships within your life. Good news. You have the opportunity to work with me in 2023. I am offering free workshops throughout the year. Keep your eye on my Instagram, in-person workshops, sound sessions, and one-on-one coaching. If you are interested in changing your life in 2023, send me an email through the link in my bio or find me on Instagram. Send me a DM. Let's make 2023 your best year yet. Until next time, ciao.